another great perspective review featuring incredible music. Remember that you can purchase this entire album filled with amazing skill and reverence at the link inside the show notes for this episode. TwoGuysTalking.com forward slash avatar. Show 24 starring Kiefer Sutherland, only from the Two Guys Talking Podcast Network. Two Guys Talking is an internet radio show providing you with entertainment, a sharing of viewpoints, and fun. Join us as we venture into the world of entertainment and discuss a variety of topics, from television shows, DVDs, feature films, and more. This week, Two Guys Talking, James Cameron's Avatar. Blue Aliens in an Off-World Paradise, a director whose own travels over the last 12 years would make for a great story in another epic documentary. It's been coming for what seems like forever, and now it's here. James Cameron's Avatar graced screens in December of 2009, and it's time for the Two Guys Talking feature film review of Avatar. Insert your live biohair follicles into your computer system and prepare for a ride you won't soon forget on the Two Guys Talking Podcast. Sponsored by Sprint's Relay Missouri, Acoustica's Mixed Craft Recording Software, and Ability Interpreting. I'm Mike Wilkerson, one of your hosts. I'm Tony Lovasco, your other host. So we're four days in. I saw it in 3D. Tony saw it in 2D. And I think both of us are marveling what we saw, Yeah. I am. Yeah, it was excellent. Uh, I will ask you, though, to not refer to it as 2D, because that somehow diminishes the quality of what is an excellent, visually stunning film, even in the standard theatrical presentation, as I will refer to it. (laughs) (laughs) Screw this. (laughs) Fine. 2D it is. Ooh. In the standard... It's not standard, though. That's the whole point. There's there's two options you can see this film in. In fact, three, really. Four, because you could see it in... Four? Right. Sure, why not? You could see it in what is 2D, no glasses, nothing, on okay. a standard screen. You could see it in 3D on your standard screen. You could see it in IMAX oh, in 2D, IMAX. Okay. and then you can see it in IMAX in 3D. So four different separate presentations well, available. Five, if you count the incredibly small videotaped in China bootleg from the internet. <laughs> I don't recommend that one. <laughs> well, I, you know, it, it's funny that you mentioned that, though, but I don't remember there being any... I don't either, actually. Oh, where's the bootleg of the I, digital movie? There wasn't any. No. There right. wasn't. There wasn't any. And I wonder, is that something because the right studios were used, or... My, my guess is that the, even the, the with... The Wolverine film didn't do this one? <laughs> yeah. Now, my guess is that even with, uh, you know, a 16 megabit high-speed internet, a <laughs> two-an-hour, 45-minute movie of this caliber is still going to look like crap <laughs> when you download the bootlegs and no one's going to want it. A, a visually stunning film full of bullet points we're going to get to on this Two Guys Talking review of Avatar. Two Guys Talking Avatar. The hype. The hype for this has been long and steady. 
uh, it got even more frantic as we arrived closer to the release date of the actual film. And I like that. I like that a lot. It reminded me more of old school hype of there's something coming. And then we started getting little tidbits of trailers. Only recently, there hasn't been anything big at all about this movie. Yeah, I really have to... The, the hype was excellent in the sense that most people had heard of it. But the marketing was not so excellent. Really, the trailers were sparse. It was only until about a week or so before the movie premiered that we actually saw trailers come out on a regular basis on yeah. you know primetime television. Mm -hmm. I didn't know it was in 3D until the day it came out that Mike actually mentioned, oh, hey, you're going to see it in 3D or regular. What? <laughs> None of the advertisements even mentioned that. Yeah. And I heard, heard that in any of the buzz. That's very odd, well, uh, especially given, you know, you look at movies like Snakes on a Plane yeah. that had product placement and weird internet stuff and text message promotional crap months and months before it was even going to be aired. Yeah. And here's a movie with a massive budget by James Cameron, no less, and they get oh, a couple of trailers and, well, we'll just let the people figure it out. And it still worked. Yeah. Well, it, it worked. And uh, you and I have bannered this back and forth, whether we're driving somewhere or having a bite to eat. And I think that was intentional. I think it was intentionally not told that, by the way, it'll be in 3D or that it'll be only in 2D or only in your original feature film presentation format. <laughs> I think that that was all intentional because nobody wants to go and see a movie that is made for 3D. No, no, nobody does. Except for you. Yes. <laughs> But it's because of the filmmaker. True. And had, and had to, this to, been Snakes on a Plane three, oh God. <laughs> I would not have wanted to go and see it in three D. But uh, because of because knowing the nature of the filmmaker wanted me to definitely go and see this in three D because that's what all this mo this new motion capture, all the new standards that he set, all the new cameras that have been made, all of this new technology that we see inside of this movie was pioneered by him. That's the whole point. Two guys talking. Avatar. The money. We always talk about gargantuan feature films, especially in the summer months as we start reviewing feature films, as corn combines of cash. This, my friend, is the 3D ultra blue version of the corn combines of cash. Do you have any idea at all what this film made uh, just the first weekend and what it's made now worldwide? I heard opening day it made like 70-something million, so I got to imagine by now, four days later, it's a good number. Yeah, well, 73 million is what was made in just those first couple of days. $73 million. We're now on Tuesday recording this feature film review, and it's now made just domestically $106,411,301. I'm flabbergasted. That's domestically. Foreign, it's made $191 million, almost $192 million. Worldwide total, $299 million. Well, it only cost, what, $230-something million to yeah, make? Yeah, two, so, $237 to make. So, so in four days, they've made a profit. <laughs> in, in any case, I mean, it, it's, it's thunderous money. It's proof of concept that people want to see it. They went and saw it at least once, and people are still going to see it. Uh, it's a juggernaut. It's, it's not the flop. It's not the crash and burn everybody thought that was going to come out. It's real, and it's right there in your face. Two guys talking. Avatar. The good doesn't cut corners. One of the things that struck me as very interesting for a movie that's as long as it is you go into the movie, you see the trailer, and you kind of expect a good amount of it's going to be action mm -hmm. and kind of frivolous eye candy effects. Sure, yeah, eye candy, yeah. And, and while the story certainly wasn't the deepest story that we've gotten, yeah. they could have easily shortened this movie dramatically by cutting corners that really any other movie that probably had a smaller budget would have. 
in the sense of how the characters acted and their motivations. Yeah, and, uh, we, and we, a different director. Oh, totally. well, of course. Yeah, yeah. That's, that is a lot of it. And yeah. James Cameron is known for longer films, certainly. Yeah, yeah. Uh, but Jake specifically, in by any other director, any other film with a smaller budget, the whole process of him mingling with the Navi and falling in love and that whole thing mm-hmm. would be five minutes, fade to black, now he's one of them and he's in love, blah, blah, blah. But now it's fight. And it almost yeah. got to a point, because that was a long, it was like 40 minutes of that, of yeah. his training and learning and blah, blah, blah. And there was plenty of it where they really could have shortened it. And sitting in the theater, I was thinking, all right, come on, let's move on. Once it paid off, though, I realized, you know, I'm really glad they didn't do that. Yeah. They cut those corners and jump to the end. Because then it would have been unrealistic. It would have been, you know, why is he changing his mind so quickly? Yeah, one of the largest negatives, I think, of this film that it's received so far is that the the development of characters, the story, the path that you follow during the film is flimsy and not worthwhile. And I, I disagree mostly because of so much character development on many of the main characters. Now, some of the other periphery characters, they're absolutely just there to provide their meaning inside the, the story. I get that. But there was a lot of character development, in particular here for a guy that could have just been time to grab a gun and shoot things. And it wasn't that. It became something completely different. Two guys talking. Avatar. Just enough narration. One of the things that we've talked about before in some of our previous reviews has been the concept that, you know, in general, when it comes to films, don't ever tell us something when you can show us something. Yeah. And there's so many films that start off like this one did with a voiceover that kind of rely on that for anything that they don't feel like showing us because yeah. it's too expensive or it's boring or whatever. And it becomes very distracting. All right, there's the big battle and the guy lies bleeding and oh, am I going to make it? And then it kind of fades to black and then, and that was the longest day of my life as I waited for 13 hours until help would arrive. <laughs> and then fade up, fade back from black and he's in the hospital and he's all happy with his girlfriend. Yeah. What? Yeah. That's a cheat. Yeah. This movie didn't do that. We had some voiceovers. It provided us with some stuff that really didn't, we didn't need to see, you know, about his brother and how he got there and all that. But it was short, it was concise, and it, it wasn't distracting. And I think that's a good point. Uh, and to the point, I think what I take most out of this film is that, yes, it was long, but everything that was conveyed was to the point. Even the stuff that I didn't like, at least it was to the point and then done. There are so few movies that do that regularly and consistently, and I think that this one did. Two guys talking. Avatar. Pushing the PG-13 bounds. Uh, This was stellar. So many feature films, in particular I think of the Michael Bay stuff. Transformers 2, I thought, conveyed a ton of really, really good violence, but it wasn't visceral violence. Inside of this film, you have lots of visceral violence that somehow falls underneath the bounds of PG-13, and I love that. I, I, especially with the Cameron film, I want that harder edge. The, the most recent Terminator film is a perfect sample. I have no idea where any of the violence was in that movie. Shooting guns? Eh. Now what? No, I agree completely. One of the things that's always looked at you know, in ratings process is, well, do you see people die? Is there blood? Is the violence fantastic and superhuman cartoony or is yeah. it, you know, guttural and in your face? Yeah. And while this movie definitely had some of the, you know, big blue alien smashing things, certainly, there was guys getting impaled, mm-hmm. getting shot at close range in the face. And, they, they bothered you know. to have the aliens have red blood. You and I talked True. about yeah. that in our, in our, in our blood, prelim. Which yeah. is unusual in general. Yeah. And that it was red was amazing. I thought, surely we're going to have some kind of predator blood where it's going to be that translucent neon blue or something when 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 they bled and they didn't they bled red 
that makes a big difference. It puts you in into the cone of peril that we've talked about in many of our reviews that you don't usually get, and I really like that. Well, and that, that, that's certainly not unprecedented. I remember uh, reading uh, notes about Star Trek VI, the undiscovered country, yeah, 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 how yeah. The, the Klingon's blood magically for just one movie became purple. <laughs> oh, because, well, we need to have a bunch of Klingons bleed a whole lot, and that just pushes the boundaries. You can't have them bleed red. That's just, you know, it's inappropriate. Yeah, yeah. But somehow purple's okay. Yeah. This movie did a lot of things to push those boundaries. Really, I would have liked to have seen an R version of this movie. Yeah, but honestly, I would like every movie to be R. So that's I, I like Same the. Here. I don't. I don't like the uh, with you know withdrawal. Let's hold back a little bit so that we can get yeah. the bigger audience. But I get it sometimes, especially with someone like James Cameron and a movie that's this big and is trying to get a wide audience. I get why they did it, and it wasn't distracting. Yeah, another movie in this vein that comes out today on Blu-ray and DVD is District Nine. And that is, that's that next step up to where there's lots and lots of alien death, lots of blood, gore, instant people milkshake. You have to wonder what there, what, what this movie would have looked like had you gone that extra step. Now, all of the, the carryovers into the McDonald toys where I can get the dire horse and four-piece McNugget for my daughter, that all would have went out the window had you had that. But you have to wonder what would have happened if we'd have seen that movie. Two guys talking Avatar. Appropriately shot in 3D and the 3D effects. Now, I went and saw this in 3D with my six-year-old daughter. And she just totally affixed to the screen. She loved everything that she'd seen. In particular, she'd never seen anything in 3D. So that was an all-new thing for her. The glasses that you wear, they're kind of like birth control glasses that you get in the Army. They're... They have thick black rims and they're polarized. So you don't it's not the blue and the red glasses. So that you just you put them on, the picture goes a little bit darker, but the screen's a little bit more brilliant to make up for that. And the the 3D stuff in particular, all of the glassed surfaces, everywhere that you see those, are all just pristinely well done. The other thing that I know you and our covey of friends hate about 3D films is that they essentially set the stage for things to fly out of the screen. And this film did not do that. And you, you have some excellent perspective on that. Yeah, I, I, I don't care for 3D movies in general. Uh, I haven't seen that many. None of them in the theater. It's all right, been at the right. home with the glasses, blah, blah, blah. And number one reason is exactly what you pointed out. <laughs> oh, no, and now the bad guy throws an axe at you directly at the screen. <laughs> or, oh, let's toss the book on the table directly at the screen. It gets, gets so frustrating yeah. because yeah. they shoot things in a way that you would never shoot a movie in if it wasn't 3D. Yeah. This movie didn't do that a lot. In the beginning, there was a few little hints of it, but about five minutes through it, then that went away completely. Now, I saw the, to the, to the 2D regular standard prese- uh, presentation, as I mentioned it, <laughs> uh, which now that I think about it, it sounds dumb, so I won't say that anymore. And I did notice a few things that were definitely different, but it wasn't the annoying throw stuff at the screen that I expected. The thing that I did notice was that in the regular presentation, you notice that the things in the foreground were definitely crisper and more detailed than yeah. the things in the background. Yeah. Which normally, in computer-generated effects, you've got almost the opposite effect. The far, far thing 300 yards away is absolutely crisp and perfect. And that's almost annoying. One of the things that frustrates me so much about CG and, and you know green screen work is that it looks fake not because it's not convincing, because it's too convincing. Things are too perfect, and it's not real life isn't all that polished and yeah. nice. Yeah. And one of the things that made this movie work visually was the fact that really everything in the background really wasn't all perfect and crisp, and sometimes things were kind of out of focus, like yeah. you're shooting in real life. Yeah. And while that did take a little bit of adjustment, uh, especially in some of the more the wide you know visual scenes where there's a lot going on, it looked a little off. It did work well, 
And most of the movie, I totally forgot that this was also being shown in 3D. It wasn't anything that was, well, because it's not 3D, this now looks like crap. It wasn't like that at all. And I think that was very smart of Cameron to do, especially because they are simultaneously showing it in both types. That, that no one really loses out no matter which one they choose. Yeah, and this is also one of those things that I hope when it does come out on Blu-ray and DVD, they do make the version that is a 3D version so that you be able to take advantage of him shooting that way on your home theater. I, I just, I hope that we'll see that because we've seen it with many other films this year. The 3D effects in general were just outstanding. You had just a smidge of let's make this 3D to make it 3D. But the vast majority of it was done for additional enhanced effect as opposed to showcasing that this is a three-dimensional film. That's key. That's key, and he intentionally did that, and it totally shows here. Two guys talking Avatar. The special effects. I, I, I don't know how much we'll talk about this because really seeing is believing. It's also what everyone talks about inside the reviews. You are on Pandora. You see 11-foot blue alien cat people. You see the flying lizards, and they are all real. There they, there they are. There's no question about what you're seeing. One of the things I did really appreciate about the effects is that they actually went to the trouble of doing motion capture with live actors, yeah. giving actual performances, rather than doing Toy Story route of completely generated in a computer wireframe people, and then the actor the just watches knows. it and yeah. talks over the voice. Yeah. And the reason being is that that's actually the actor's mannerisms as they act across another act from another actor etc yeah. etc yeah. and that comes across as so much more convincing not only is it more polished and uh, the aliens all look like the characters that they're supposed to play just as if they put makeup on the real people but more than that it, it doesn't have the again that that unnatural polish that i always refer to when it comes to cg yeah. yeah because the motion capture is derived from an actual person at some point doing something and right, it's yeah. just you know sticking the data in the computer that, no artist in the world, I don't care how good you are, is ever going to be able to match that. And I, yeah. I really, I would like to see more films go that route than go 3D wire mesh guy in a lab stuff. A couple of weeks ago, you and I were talking about the special effects and what this film is going to do for the film industry. And I think that's what I was trying to articulate. This is the way to do it. If you're going to bother to have a bunch of CG and created aliens inside of a film, this is the way to do it. All the other stuff, cast it aside. And focus on something like this. That's what I was trying to convey a couple weeks ago. Two guys talking Avatar. Tech. Here it is. Another stellar bonus for this film. You are showcased both the biotech, but then also just the tech of what's going on. And it's quickly showcased, and then it's done and on, and the story moves forward. So many movies languish. In what I think Tony and I now call the, the midichlorian factor, where everything must be explained. And you, you see, this part works with this part to work with this part in harmony with all parts together. And then it all works like this. Well, we, we don't have any of that. What's worse about that is the more they try to explain, the deeper the stupidity hole becomes <laughs> to the point where now nothing they show us is believable. Yeah. You know, you can't just accept that, oh, they press a button and I can remotely control this body. Yeah. Instead... Other movies would go into some absurd thing about how, well, there's these nanites inside of this body that we grow using this crystalline mesh that we need uh, the unobtainium as a power source. Yeah. And it only works on yeah. Thursdays because the, the, the winds are coming from the north. And, and then, of course, all of that becomes a crutch so that, well, on Thursday, the bad guy comes and he puts up a really big shield to block the building from the wind. And now we have no power source. And yeah. Then, yeah. How about you uh, press the button, it works, we accept it's science fiction, and we don't care. Th th this so is much even, better. And this is even more salient than that. 
cripple guy climbs into device. They put down plastic thing over him and they close the door done. <laughs> That's how things like that are supposed to work. I don't need to know all the, the gobbledygook and technobabble about how all that works. I, okay, fine, let's move. The same thing with the using their bio hair follicles to jack into the creatures and the, the other stuff around them so that they can jack in, literally. I love that. It, it's so straightforward and simple, and here's the end of the hair, and here's the thing you attach to, and done. That's it. It's done. It doesn't need to be explained, and there it is. That's how it's supposed to be. Tech, here it is. Two guys talking. Avatar. Just green enough. Toe to toe. <laughs> this is the one thing I thought Tony was going to hate, 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 white hot, hate this movie for is towards the end you have what I would call a more new age push than crazy lefty Greenpeace Ness. That's not what we see here towards the end at all. It's way more new age and has a religion push. It's it's more a piece of the culture than anything else that I really, really appreciated. Yeah, I went into this movie kind of expecting it to be America is bad and we treat people poorly and we, you know, big corporations like to destroy stuff for their own fun. <laughs> and while we had some of that in here, it was more, how about you don't be a moron and just generally treat people well and don't destroy things, which is a good moral. I don't have a problem with the let's not yeah. destroy things for no reason. Yeah. That, that's good. And keeping the politics out of it for the most part, it portrayed that message appropriately as it should be. Now, I, I will say there was at least one point that, and I, I'm not familiar with James Cameron's political views. I could guess, but I won't. But there was one part at the beginning of the movie, and it was. It was the first five minutes, and I'm like, this is not a good turn. Uh, Jake is, is talking over the narration, and he you know, kind of comes off the, the plane in the wheelchair and talks about how, well, you know, he was wounded. He's, he's going to take this job as this mercenary because, well, you know, there's really just not that many jobs in this bad economy. And, uh, you know, they have a way to fix his legs uh, because, of course, they've got the technology. But his health care plan, it just doesn't cover it. <laughs> Really, really, we're gonna we're gonna go we're gonna go that down that road in Avatar, and I was I I saw that and I cringed, and then that was it. That was pretty much those two points are pretty much the only thing that yeah. was overtly political, yeah. and then it went back to the just general moral of the story stuff, which I think was perfectly appropriate. So I am glad that they didn't use the movie as a tool to push any particular political agenda, and instead it was just a general just a story, just like any yeah. other movie. Yes, and when Tony basically told me this story, except of course for the. The terrible future care healthcare program. <laughs> uh, I, I likened it to it's a couple of fighters standing toe to toe to take that picture that they use on posters. On one side is me, the general viewer of a movie that doesn't like political messages. And on the other side, you have the political message. And it was just it was that close and it never got any closer. And I really appreciate that as a as a moviegoer because I, I want story. I don't mind the whole need to respect resources and that this alien world has a network that somehow they're all joined together. Fine, I've got that. That's good. And it's all wrapped in this nice little taco of religion and culture. You thumbs up. I'm right there. I'm right with right there with them. As soon as it descends into the other thing that you refer to, thumbs down. And again, that's why it makes it to the positive list, because they were able to not jump into the taco that I don't like. Two guys talking. Avatar. Being a 10-foot plus blue alien. One of the segments inside of this movie that I liked in particular is when they quickly shove 
Jake into the pseudo refrigerator with the the plastic skeletal thing on top of him and close the door. He instantly is the blue alien and he stands up and he's awkward trying to figure himself out. That whole little thing there of becoming the blue alien, I thought that that was stellar. It, and it, I thought it deserved mentioning in here because as soon as you get over that hump, everyone else buys it for the rest of the movie. And it was such a successful jump over. I loved it. Um, I'm going to be kind of neutral on that. I, I didn't think it detracted at all, but I didn't think it was really that much of a positive. Uh, I will will say that the, hey, it was an interesting move making the aliens 10 foot tall or, or however tall they were. It's definitely a positive from the traditional what's paint people's skin blue and then now they're aliens and they're basically yeah. no different than humans in any other yeah. respect. So that was good. On the other hand, it did make me think, well, why do they really need to be humanoid at all? Like, why can't we just see uh, just an unusual alien that doesn't look anything like people? Would that somehow make them not relatable and yes. the story fall apart? Yes. You know, I, I, <laughs> you've already decided, <laughs> but I'll plead my case anyway. What was the name of the rhino, rhino thing? <laughs> I don't know. You're, you're on the Wikipedia page. Find it. No, we're not going to go find all it because right, that fine. totally detracts from one of our negatives. We have no idea what the thing is called. Oh, okay. Good point. All right, so at one point, I don't know what the name of the creature is, but it looks like the big old rhino thing with, with the, the hammerhead. Hammer right, yeah, thing, yeah. yeah. Um, I, I postulated to Mike, what if the Navi looked like those guys? You know, look like the rhino thing. You're an idiot. Would that totally ruin the movie? And of course he says yes. Yes. My point is, <laughs> while admittingly it's not the strongest story in the world, I think the story would have still worked if you had talking rhino things. You have got to be kidding me. Oh, come Dude, on. Here, here, Mike. Hold, hold on. I see you. Ray? I see you. No, come on, man. How are they going to fly around in a tree when they're a rhino? Make them a lighter rhino. I don't know. Or bigger bird. The, the, point, <laughs> the, point being, the point being is, okay, you laugh at that and you think it's absolutely absurd, which... Fair enough. However, you're an idiot. People flocked by the millions to see Lion King, and you got dancing, singing animals at, at the wazoo. That's no difference. The difference is here. Well, it's a sci-fi movie aimed for a, a more uh, adult crowd, but it's basically the same thing. You've got talking creatures. Who cares? Do you actually remember the dancing rhinos from Lion King? I remember dancing rhinos, but they were lions, and they had tutus, man. Can you see a dancing rhino tutu in a Cameron film? I don't think so. I didn't say, I didn't say dancing or singing. <laughs> I see you. <laughs> What's with the I see you, by the way? Is that a reference I don't get? <laughs> yeah, it was from the movie. No, I don't yeah, remember that. A, yeah, that's, that's a whole thing. I don't remember the rhino talking the, the, the ever. Main movie, the main song from the movie is called I See You. Oh, okay. I, I thought you were. I thought there was like some caption at the bottom yeah, after well, one of the is, rhinos grunted. It is grunted. captioned. It is captioned when she's not yet speaking English perfectly. Uh, okay, that's what you're talking about. I understand. Okay. Google the government you got. Right. I see you. Right. That's right. Um, <laughs> I didn't realize you were playing both the part of the talking captions and the character. My point here is that it's it's so easy for people to write off uh, an experience in general just because. Well, if it's not instantly relatable to my personal existence, it must be crap. And, and that's why so many stories feel the need to make the main character something that is going to be common. You know, it, it's the, the common man rising above adversity or the... Instead, the, it would be the common the, rhino rising <laughs> above adversity. Or the guy next door or whatever. The, the point being is I understand the need to relate to people. But when you got a good story and a good director right, and good here, effects, you don't necessarily need it here. to be, you know. Th think of it this way. Okay, the, the giant tree falls and there's baby rhinos and mama rhinos running away. And, oh, look. <clears throat> the papa chief rhino's been impaled <laughs> by a piece of wood. Who cares? 
You would. You well, would that's have my no point. That, that's my point. Is that oh, he looks like a ten foot tall blue human, uh, and, and about, all of a sudden, how, because he's impaled, I care more. Yeah, well, Come on. That, that, that's the first one. Now imagine this. It's time to hump. Well, obviously, <laughs> they would have to speak some I, kind of language I, I, at some point, or that would be tedious. However, I have no interest in seeing Jixuli Rhino hump whatever her name Rhino. No thanks. <laughs> And we did have humping in this movie, in case you didn't know that. That's not my point. My point. We're <laughs> detracting. <laughs> obviously, there's some a practical. Blah, blah, goo, whatever. Obviously, it's there's going to work. <laughs> there, there, there might be some practical changes that would have to be made. <laughs> the rhinos don't have fingers and opposable thumbs to hold the rifles with. But that's not the point. <laughs> the, the point is. How would the rhinos fly on the on the birds on the bird lizard things? <laughs> you just get really big lizards. I don't know. <laughs> The, the point here is that my, my, the point is a lot of the criticism that this movie got was that the story is is simple, it's been done before, etc. And what I'm saying is, while that's all true, it, it's a good film because, for, at least for me, I could have taken really any of the characters and transposed pretty much any creature in the exact same role, and I, I don't think it would have changed anything. Like it, a pygmy lemur, they or would have still been relatable. It would have still been a good story. An anteater. Whereas, for example, if you were going to take another movie like, uh, say, Casablanca. And <laughs> Play it again, Sham. <laughs> right. That's ridiculous. You're an idiot. Awesome. <laughs> Two guys talking Avatar. Sam Worthington's portrayal. This is something Tony and I have gone back and forth on in our prelim, and I did not like Sam Worthington inside of the Terminator film. Just, he didn't cut it for me. I, I wasn't there. I didn't like the film in general. Here, I'm trying desperately to like him because I love James Cameron. I I really like this film a lot, and I'm trying desperately to like Sam Worthington. I just I think the biggest thing that is the littlest thing that I don't know anyone else will appreciate is that could he just not use his Australian accent? Is it possible at all? Nitpick, nitpick. Oh, I, I'm not a massive. He who nitpicks is telling me I'm nitpicking. That's my point. That's especially bad, then. I'm not a massive Sam Worthington fan. I've not really seen him in much at all. Uh, I think he was good enough in Terminator Salvation. I, I Again, the movie had some issues. It was good enough for me. His portrayal was sufficient, you know? In this, yes. In this, yes. In this, I liked him, though. Yes. I think this was a positive role because, yes, his accent slipped a few times. I'll give you that. However, he came across as a fitting, fitting image of the character for most of the movie. This is a character who starts off as the down-on-his-luck guy in a wheelchair who can't catch a break, life sucks, and i got to work some more guy. And he, he pulled that off perfectly. and Because of his crappy healthcare program. <laughs> yeah. And then as, he, as the character progressed and changed, etc., he still came across as like he was constantly feeling bad. And that's perfect. The character, in general, I mean, he was in a impossible scenario he's pulled between two different people blah blah mm-hmm. blah that's, mm-hmm. a, that, that's basically the story yeah well sam worthington kind of in real life kind of comes across that way i don't know just his mannerisms and whatnot so i, I think it worked uh, i think he did an excellent job with whatever weight gain or loss he had to do through this movie whether it was real or you know special effects the the, the portrayal of him losing weight because he wasn't eating while he was you know in the machine all the time during those three months i think that came across as very genuine uh, he's one of the first people I've seen in uh, in a role in which the character is disabled, and yet it's not really the main focus of the film. Mm-hmm. That kind of accurately portrays the weight of moving the the non moving limbs around. 
You know, you see so many movies where there's just an ancillary character that happens to be in a wheelchair mm-hmm. and they kind of swing their legs up like they don't have any weight and it's no big deal. And no, it's not how that works. That There's some effort there. And he, he really comes across as if they shot him up with Botox or something where he couldn't feel his legs for that <laughs> scene. I, it, was, it, was, it was convincing. Yeah. And little things like that sold his performance for me. I don't think it's Oscar-worthy by any means, but I didn't have, really have any problems with him at all in this I film. was kind of curious why they didn't do the Lieutenant Dan legs where there's no legs. You know, we talked about that in before the show. Yeah. Uh, my thought on that was, was twofold. For starters, really the whole point of him going to be the mercenary, blah, 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 was he wanted to save up the money to have his spine fixed. And while, yes, they could have probably given him robotic legs or something like that in the future, there's something about having the legs still there that he has to physically drag around. It's kind of just a symbolic reminder of why he's there, what he's going through, the burden he has to carry or whatever. More importantly, let's face it, as a practical effect, why spend the money and time to do that for the whole six minutes that he's on screen as a human? It didn't detract at all having him have legs that just didn't work. Right. And See, so it that, worked. He, that he's on screen for so little time, though, and that the rest of the movie is already a special effects laden is the reason to do it. Anyway, I, that, that's our first call to the audience and what I think is going to be one of our best reviews ever. We'd like to know what you think of Sam Worthington's performance inside of Avatar, the James Cameron film that came out in December 2009. Let us know what you think by accessing our website at twoguystalking.com. Click on the contact button on the top right-hand side of the page, fill out the quick web form, and let us know what you think. Two guys talking Avatar. Shown in 2D and 3D. As something else to remember, too, is that this was shown in both what I'm referring to as 2D, the regular feature film presentation, but then also in 3D, so that you have the option. You don't have to go and see it in 3D. You have the option of seeing it in regular or going to see it in 3D. Well, and more than that, it would have been really easy for them to say, all right, 3D is in IMAX only. Enjoy your two-hour drive to the nearest IMAX theater. <laughs> Instead, no, regular old theaters near you will have both 3D and, yeah. and regular. Yeah. And it gives you the option at the you know, time and place that you want, which is really the first time I've seen that. While there has been 3D movies before, they're only 3D. And while I think there have been some movies before that have been shot in a way that can be presented either way, I've never seen it where you go to the theater and when you buy a ticket, they say, would you like the 3D or the regular? That's the first time I've ever had that. I think that's really great. Two guys talking Avatar. Sigourney Weaver Deathery. (laughs) Now, having listened to many of the commentaries that Sigourney Weaver participates in and many of her movies, a lot of the perspective she shares here on the whole... We are one thing is valid. That's pretty much her. And it's a perspective I understand, but don't particularly care for. And so that they took the time to not only not try to instantly save her, but bother to kill her is a good move. It's a good story point move. I I know nothing of Sigourney Weaver's politics, but uh, no, what I liked here is that she does die. And not because I hate Sigourney Weaver or even her character. But that it would have been unbelievable and really kind of corny to have her, let's bring her body to the tree and magically she comes alive. It just would have been, it would have ruined the, the whole point. Because at that point, well, where's the peril? Right. If you can die and then they just plug you into the, the tree and then you magically heal. <laughs> all right, well then let them kill everybody. As long as there's one guy left, we'll just pile a whole bunch of people at the tree. You know, I'm glad that she dies. <laughs> as long as it's a blue alien with a head with a with the hair with the follicle thing on it, we're, we're good. <laughs> it would have been way too easy and quite frankly cutting corners to have her magically come back to life. And it would have been a nice bow, you know, et cetera, et cetera. But yeah. it worked. Uh, the Jake feels the loss of his friend. Uh, everybody's kind of sad. 
really your character didn't have anything else to do anyway, so good, fine. I, it worked out well, and it provided at least some consequences for the characters, and I like that. Two guys talking Avatar. One mention of unobtainium. Thank you. Thank you, James Cameron. Thank you, anybody that decided to provide him comment on the how to showcase the unobtainium. One mention of it was just fine. Yeah, there's a, a, a friend of mine asked after we saw this movie, what was the point of having that in there if it wasn't going to be used for anything? And uh, I recall a cinema term I remember reading about uh, MacGuffin, I think it is, uh, that it basically is an object or an item in a film that everyone cares about but doesn't actually matter to the plot. Uh, kind of like the Ark of the Covenant in Raiders, yeah. where everyone wants it and it drives the story forward, but really it doesn't do anything. It doesn't change. It could, you know, it could have been. Except, it could have been, of course, a, melt the Nazis and right, drive but, the entire story. But uh, a, a point being, though, is that the Maltese Falcon was another one. You remember that movie? Yes. Everyone wants the Falcon. They get it. That won't spoil the movie, but well, it doesn't really matter. That that does kind of spoil <laughs> the movie, actually. But you know what? That's like forty years old. You should have seen it by now, anyway. Point being is that in this case, we don't see it, which is good. I'm glad that the unobtainium didn't turn out to be, you know, the power source that the Navi eats in order to make the trees grow faster or whatever. You know, I didn't want it to matter. It just happened to be there, and they didn't know any better, and wrong place, wrong time. Good. Fine. Like it. Two guys talking Avatar. Showcasing culture. Again, this is the same style of taco where they wrap in a piece of the the, the culture of the Navi and what I, what I'm referring to specifically here is when Jake lights a torch to fend off the, the horde of pseudo, we have no idea what their the name dog are, things, aliens, yeah. the, the dog things. And then of course, if you didn't light the fire, they wouldn't be attracted to you, which is a portion of the culture. You would understand where you really Navi or from their area, apparently. And I, I like that everything that they had inside of the story that pushed the story. I liked all of that. That was very well. Let's take a quick break here during the Two Guys Talking feature film review of James Cameron's Avatar. Ability Interpreting was created to connect people who are deaf and hard of hearing. For excellence in sign language interpreting, you can count on Ability. www.interpreterstation.com Greetings from behind the walls of the Castle of Common Sense. When I'm not driving righteous indignation down the throats of other common peasants, I listen to the Two Guys Talking Podcast Network. Now I've got something for you. If you're listening to this podcast, then you've probably been impacted by a voiceover artist. That's right. Have you ever thought about becoming a commercial voiceover artist? Now, it's not all glam and cartoon franchises, but it's a super creative work vein that can take advantage of your impromptu voiceover talents. Let me ask you a couple of questions. How are your reading skills? No, 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 not reading, but rather reading from, say, a script. Have you got the knack? How about the urge to give it a try? Cool. How about flexibility? How about interest in learning to farm the next piece of income augment with your voice. If these things sound cool, well, I've got a place you need to check out. It's the Voice Farmers Voiceover Service and Academy. If you've got a business that needs solid, quick, affordable voiceover for your ads or phone systems, or 
If you are looking to become a voiceover artist to toss some extra cash in your wallet or your purse, time to head over to voiceformers.com. They'll get you taken care of and on the way to farming your voice. Voicefarmers.com. That's voicefarmers.com. Two Guys Talking is proud to announce a new conspiracy agents, which will provide outstanding conspiracy and mystery-based content to the Two Guys Talking Network. Check it all out now at conspiracyagents.com as another new year of captured perspective here at Two Guys Talking begins. Conspiracy Agents. That's conspiracyagents.com. You're listening to the Two Guys Talking Podcast Network. Everyone, welcome back to the Two Guys Talking feature film review of James Cameron's Avatar. Just as there's a bunch of great things inside of this film, Avatar, from James Cameron, there's also the bad. Avatar. One-dimensional villain. Yeah, the one major complaint, if I was going to pick a number one complaint about this film, is the villains. Whether it be the general... We don't know his name. Uh, the the bad guy with the scars. It's Quaritch is okay. what I can discern. Quaritch? That's not even a name. Uh, <laughs> that's like a... No, I'm not even going to... That's not even a name. It's, it, it would be one of the characters' names if they were all, say, rhinos. <laughs> um, whether it be him or whether it be the evil corporate stooge that wants the money. <laughs> They're so one-dimensional to the point of almost, like... Saturday morning cartoon villainy, you yeah. know the yeah I agree with that the 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 one guy he just wants his money he doesn't care but we don't know why he wants his money there's really no motivation other than he's greedy and even worse the the Scarface general he's just he's just there to do a job why does it really matter how he does his job he gets paid if the guy gets his ore that's it so why does he take such glee sitting there. Drinking the coffee, and I hope to have this done by lunch. The extermination of an entire race. (laughs) Nobody's that evil. I mean, there was the Nazis weren't even that blatantly evil. At least they had their own screwed up reasons. But these guys don't even have that. They're just like, I've got nothing to do, so let's kill. I mean, how one dimensional is that? That's that's insane. Especially you know when you've got every other main character in this film that really is deep, and you understand their motivations. Blah blah blah. Agree with it or not. You know, obviously, nobody's going to be sitting there rooting for the guys to kill off everybody. They're the bad guys. I get that. But I would have much rather have seen something. Maybe the general was, you know, doing it under duress. At the, you know, he would be killed if he didn't complete the mission. And maybe the 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 ore, the unobtainium, maybe it's the secret to eternal life or or some magical healing process that's going to save Earth or whatever. Just to give the the, the bad guys at least some glint of some kind of, like I said, again, reasoning. Even looking at, you know, like I said, a film like Schindler's List or Saving Private Ryan or whatever. You have what is clearly the greatest villain in history, the Nazis. At the very least, you have a general idea why they're doing what they're doing, even if you obviously don't agree with them. You know why. With these characters, you had no idea why. It was just because it's their role to be evil. And that's just kind of lame. Characters' names other than Jixuli. This one resonates incredibly with me because I love to be able to tell people what I think about characters inside of a film. 
Tony, can you please name for me any other character except, of course, Jixuli? I think one of the dogs that got skewered. You're an idiot. (laughs) Tony's just proving my point without even saying anything. The answer (laughs) is that no, you can't. You can't name so any someone's, of the other Someone's going to say, oh, well, Sigourney Weaver's character. I don't remember her name, but her name was mentioned a few times. But other than that, you're right. Most of the characters' names had barely pronounceable alien-like names. Or worse, even the humans, oh, their name was mentioned once upon introduction and then never again. Uh, that's very confusing. When you have to describe people as you know, the, guy, the, the tall guy. guy with the scruffy beard or, you know, the, the guy who died first or whatever. The other blue alien That guy. makes the film very tough to talk yeah. about. Not yeah. only does that help or hurt the, the, the hype and the general word of mouth spreading of the movie, because let's face it, other than talking about how great the effects are, there's really it's hard to talk about how, yeah, I really love the one guy's portrayal of, what's his name, uh, giant blue guy. <laughs> <laughs> you know? Uh, we're, we're reading the credits, and I see some actual names I recognize, like uh, CCH Pounder from The Shield. Yeah. And I'm thinking, wow, I wonder which one she was. Well, they just told me the name. I still don't know. That's no good. Yeah. I shouldn't have to look up online and look at the Wikipedia summary <laughs> to figure out which yeah. character CCH Pounder plays. Yeah. She, she, oh. was, she was the memorable name Moat. Oh, Moat, yes. <laughs> uh, it's also clear now. Yeah, which is my exact point. By the way, what's the name of the alien race, Tony? Any idea? That's the Navi. That's the one thing I did mention off. Again, the point is here that the more confusing you make naming sequences to begin with, and with alien names, I get that's going to happen. Well, then the more often that you need to ram it into people's heads what they are. Look at any classic film in cinema. Think, think of the original Star Wars. Everyone knows who Han Solo is. Well, because his name is Han Solo. <laughs> Oh, it's a whole two syllables. That's easy. You know, Chewbacca, a little bit harder, but there's only one guy named Chewbacca. It's not like they had 85 Wookiees running around, and one guy's Chewbacca, and one's Hobblegon, and there's another... No, there's just the one, and, you know, he's on the screen an awful lot, and you know what? Han calls him Chewie, like, 35 times, so you remember it. That's what we need here. We need repetition or simpler names, or both, but not this. Avatar. Perfect English? Yeah, for a race that's only learned the English language over the course of, what, a few years, we're going to assume, mostly through the instruction of, we're going to guess, just Sigourney Weaver. <laughs> they speak awfully perfect English. I, I mean, we're talking and many of them. using, you yeah. know, all the A's and A's and the's appropriately. And, and there's people who've lived in the United States for decades and don't speak that good English. <laughs> that's nuts. Yeah, you could say, oh, they're aliens. They must have a superior intellect and they learn faster. Well, okay, maybe. Maybe they jacked into the internet via the tree of communication. <laughs> yeah. Jack into the, the Rosetta Stone program via the communications tree of life or something. I don't know. My, my point is that I would have loved to have seen something more that is, that, that's way more involved with the interpreting process, the learning and collecting of language, the, 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 the pieces that are in so many other movies where you have an alien, whether it's terrestrial alien or not, language, and someone trying to convey thought. We didn't really have yeah, any of that. I think while it would have added another hour to the movie, and I get why they didn't do it, it would have been kind of nice to have it. The aliens only spoke very rudimentary one or two word English, and maybe while the female alien, whose name we don't remember because they only said it once and it's hard to pronounce, uh, maybe speaks a little English. While she's teaching him all the skills of being one of them, maybe he teaches her English. 
and then maybe that's part of the bonding process is the learning to communicate, blah, blah, blah. But it would take another 45 minutes or an hour to do right, it effectively. Well, or, so I get what they did. Or but. even conveying to her the basic gist of English and then whatever process she's able to take with her superior alien knowledge and intellect can then splash it on other people and they get it. Yeah. One thing I will say as a positive here is that at the very least we didn't see absolutely required in any television, movie, pretty much anything in which one character speaks English but is not a native speak- speaker. Why they feel the need to have them misuse an idiom or figure of speech in a attempt to be humorous when in reality it's just stupid. You said kick ass, Jake Sully. After, well, after kicking him in the ass with his foot or something. Right. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. I'm glad we didn't get any of that. <laughs> I'm so happy we didn't have any of that. I just I would uh, the the time they spent on all the culture stuff, a couple of minutes. I'm not asking for another hour to the movie, but something that conveyed the fact that they're trying to 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 pass that back and forth. I think that could have been used differently. Huh. Shaka when the walls fell. When the walls yeah. fell. That's right. Yeah. yeah. Which was probably the best yeah, totally. thing I've seen of that yeah, ever, but yeah. no one would recognize the reference. Avatar. The most expensive paperweight in human and Navi history. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Just to set this up for folks that aren't tracking where we're going. The whole premise of the movie is that there's some ungodly expensive material that's underneath the village that the Navi live in. And they feel the need hater... to mention to you at one point that this unobtainium or is worth, they actually give the number, I don't know what it was. It's $20 million an ounce or something, something like, like that. that. Yeah. It's something incredibly expensive. And then the next scene, they feel the need to show you like an eight-pound paperweight of the stuff. <laughs> that the guy then pulls off of his desk and holds up and shows to everybody. Are you kidding me? Nobody in that entire facility would try and say, steal something that was worth, I don't know, $100 million that was just sitting in a <laughs> well, <laughs> unprotected I, thing? I, I've got two answers to that. Number one... My first one, and this is the cop-out, but I'm going to say, well, maybe it was just a model to show you what it looks like, and it's not real. <laughs> okay. Uh, <laughs> I don't even be- buy that, but fine. I'll throw that up there. The other option is, okay, apparently this deposit, based on their little computer-generated model, is like the size of Utah or something. I mean, it's massive. <laughs> I mean, they, they show the, like the little tiny people, and they zoom out really, really, really far, and it's this, this whole you know black crater underneath that goes down <laughs> as far as you can see. Okay, if there's that much... My guess is that it's really not, if it's actually still worth $20 million an ounce, and they dig that up, there's going to be a lot of inflation. <laughs> I mean, you're, you're, you're going to go to Burger King and pay like $800 million for your burger and fries at that point. Yeah, but you're going to get your... Because that's a lot of ore. Yeah, but you're going to get your dire horse toy with it. That's the whole point. <laughs> so maybe that maybe that's the point, is that maybe they, there was another deposit on another planet they dug up. It wasn't quite as big, but it was big, and it threw the whole economy out of whack, and that's why everyone's out of a job and has bad health insurance. <laughs> Stock sound effects. This one drove me nuts, and I, I know it's just because I, I cue into sound differently in a movie. I totally admit that. But they've taken Jurassic Park animal sounds literally out of that movie and used them inside of this movie. So what we have on hand here is the most expensive technical film ever made, yet they were drawing from the soundtrack library of Fox slash Paramount Studios to accomplish the monster sound effects. Okay, really? Well, I did recognize some of those effects as being used before. Eh. You know, one of the things that made Jurassic Park... No, not... No, eh. no, hold on, hold on. No. One of the things that made Jurassic Park work was that they took recordings of real animals making real noises that they would normally make, and they compiled them together to make them seem not quite like a normal animal, but familiar. And so that it was believable that the dinosaurs would make those sounds. Yes. It wasn't a guy tapping on a desk and going, <laughs> <laughs> and that helped. 
And obviously it was very successful. (laughs) Well, extending that to an alien, you know, rhino thing or whatever, it's conceivable that you'd want those animals to make sounds that are familiar yet a little bit not with the audience. And obviously they did the work to do it successfully before. Is, are they really going to come up with something that absurdly different by just recording different animals and mixing it together again? I didn't have a problem with it. It was yes, you noticed it, but it wasn't like you know it wasn't like the 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 the, the rhino creature opened his mouth and it was uh, uh, Malcolm McDowell <laughs> from Clockwork Orange or something <laughs> talking. You know? Right. But, but here's my whole point, though. There are and knowing the way that Cameron approaches, especially sound design inside of all, all of his movies, all of his commentaries mention it. You would think that for for just the the large three creatures that they show inside of this film, they would come up with an original sound for those creatures. Uh, feel free to throw me to the nitpicker bunch of that, but again, you're already spending two hundred thirty seven million. If you give Tony and I fifteen minutes, I'll give you four more sounds that you could have used for those monsters. Well, now here's interesting. You're making a huge assumption, which I think is probably right. But let's let's for the benefit of the doubt. What if they did make new sound effects and they just happened to sound very similar to the Jurassic Park ones? How, how interesting would that be? Huge budget. Oh, yeah, let's, let's collect some sounds. Let's make this great thing. And it ends up basically being the exact same thing that they happened 15 years ago. <laughs> that would be interesting. That would be very interesting. Anyway, listen to the sounds either in the theater or when this eventually comes out on DVD or Blu-ray. And let us know what you think if those sounds, and they are, the direct rips from the... Cool, cool. Of the Raptors well, uh, and the and yes. several of the others. And there, all there's also rips. the cackling Malcolm McDowell from Clockwork Orange is in there. <laughs> Avatar. Compassion for the loss. One of the things that I think would have helped this movie, although almost would guarantee send it over to the R rating edge, would be showing some more edgy death when it comes to the destruction of Home Tree and the, the, the murder of how many countless Navi. Uh, one of the things that makes movies like a Schindler's List or you know Saving Private Ryan or any of the World War II movies that we've talked about is that there's invariably at least one scene where we see just massive destruction or death or something that kind of just makes the viewer kind of pause and think about the scale, the 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 deeper you know in the case of obviously the the, the Holocaust, the the fact that it was real, et cetera, et cetera, and it gives it gives a lot more weight to it. Now, obviously, since this wasn't real. There, you can't really liken to that. But if we would have seen some characters that we cared about, or even ones that we didn't, actually die, and, and you know, okay, he's dead. There's bodies everywhere. Maybe there's burning. There's a, a mother's crying because her son died, or whatever. And we had a little bit of that. But it was all very, very bland. Lots of people crying and moaning at what? Oh, the people that we didn't see die that aren't on the screen currently. Really? What we should see is explosion, people flying in the air... Bodies everywhere, burning, you know, homes, or they never showed us what they really live in, but I guess they live in the tree. But uh, I, I just wanted they, to see... They live in the giant, burning, now chopped down right. tree. Yeah. I, point being is that they make a huge, <laughs> huge deal about this tree coming down, and yes, it's a big tree, and yes, it's a big deal. But as the soldier puts it, it's a tree. Yes, it's their home, I'm sure they like it, blah, 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 I don't want my home burning down either. But my home burning down is a whole lot better than myself and three generations of my family members being slaughtered. And that's basically what happened here, and yet they focus on the tree falling down as being the bad thing, rather than the likely thousands of people who died in this battle. 
Uh, I think it would have been better to see more of that and have that more of an impact. I, the I problem, of course, is it's tough that. to do that with PG-13 and not right. terrifying well, little kids. So. What we saw in particular, I think, at that, that end battle was a bunch of machine gun gunning down. We saw plenty of that, but it was fast enough. And usually they were being shot off of... Uh, the horses, uh, the, the, yeah, where it's more falling the, than yeah. being shot. The, 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 flying, the flying things circling and crashing into the ground or whatever. I, I think all of this was good and visceral, but you're absolutely right. If they'd have taken it up a notch, we'd have destroyed any... And really, we, we saw ready. we actually saw more animals get killed than people. Yeah, I think in yeah. this film. Well, and I, I think that again, that was intentional. Trying to drift over into that toe to toe that we talked about previously. Avatar. Inconsistently violent aliens. This is more a nitpick than yeah, anything. Yeah, Honestly, I, I, this is not really a fair criticism, but I'll throw it in there because I did I didn't think about it. We're introduced to the Navi by really by the the, the soldiers. The general gives the briefing about how these savages have these arrows that kill you in 30 seconds if you're shot, yeah. and they ripped his face off, blah, blah, blah. Okay, so we've, we kind of figure that's probably propaganda because we kind of get the hint that he's the bad guy from the beginning anyway. But then the first alien we actually see almost shoots Jake in the back <laughs> with an arrow yeah. for really no reason other than, well, he's on a property. Well, and the, the 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 second one, who is the I'll call him the war chief. I don't the younger war chief, the soon to assume the throne guy. He he's ready to cut Jake's head off. At one Literally, point. yeah, he's going to cut his throat, right? Yeah, and uh, you're absolutely right on on the spectrum. Are they are they really ready to go and literally sink the knife in, into their enemy or not? Yeah, the, the, that's kind of when I say inconsistent. On one hand, the shooting people in the back and cutting their throats, okay, yeah. Sort of savage, very defensive, proud of their people and are going to stand up for the good fight. I don't have a problem with that. But then their home is destroyed and thousands of them are, sl are slaughtered and they're pretty much ready to just kind of run and hide until the fires uh, go out. Until Jake, the guy that couple scenes before was the traitor rallies them into the fight it seems very odd because the rest of the movie with especially with the, the the hostile nature towards the sky people and everything else you would think these people would you know be kind of looking for any excuse to fight back to prove that right. this is their land etc 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 especially if you, if you look at you know whether that you know the, the native american allegory that this film basically you know adheres to you would think that would very much be the case the well we tried to make peace and it didn't work and now you're going to get out and that's and that's kind of how it worked with the Native Americans, as, as it should. And and I think the the passiveness of the Navi it actually works as a detriment to the movie's theme because while you're rooting for them, you're also kind of confused as to you know why aren't they doing anything? Yeah. Something else that we're going to lump into this little section here, I think, also is the Navi are very very intelligent. They have very high skill set. They have the ability to go and help and interact and control animals. Fine. Wouldn't they go and seek out where the home base of where these other people are coming from or where the scientists go? Uh, you know, I don't have a huge problem with that. Okay, we fire arrows at this giant metal bird, whatever they're going to call it, and nothing happens. Literally nothing happens. The arrows bounce off. Nothing happens. There's no physical damage. Nothing. We don't just stand there. Yeah, that Sorry. was kind of silly. Let's get the hell out of Dodge. Yeah. Let's hide. Let's Something. regroup from, from New Plan, right? Something. I, I don't have an issue with them not hunting down the home base because really they're just... I, I can understand the concept of, well, they only fight for self-defense. They're protecting home tree, but they're not going to go launch an offensive and wipe out the humans to make sure they don't come back. Right, but you would go and check. You, if you right. if, Especially if your stuff was just being torn down like it was, you would go and try and be a defense. And there uh, wasn't one. And the other thing that I just, just occurred to me was the whole her trying to shoot him in the back. Okay, that's, isn't that kind of inconsistent with the... the 
well, killing the animal is a, you know, you only do that for food and you thank them for the sacrifice they've made. And any death is, you know, like she gives them that whole lecture about how yeah. she didn't want to have to kill the dogs. By the way, here's two arrows to the chest. Right. <laughs> it's, yeah. I don't, I don't hate it and I would have no problem with it if it was just, okay, this character is the violent guy and this one's the peaceful one. Yeah. But they all kind of crossed both sides of that fence and it was very inconsistent. Fantasy versus new age. This is something we talked about a little inside the positives. And I love it when they are able to take themes and stuff, especially the stuff that I don't usually agree with, and wrap that into some sort of philosophy that is used to convey a piece of culture. So yes to both fantasy and new age. It succeeds wildly in being a fantasy film. I am very, very satisfied with that. But you also have to consider the new age elements that are com- that are put through in this, in particular via the soundtrack. And then the yeah. j- j- the the arch of what's going on here is way more new age than anybody that's telling you this is an allegory for Afghanistan and Iraq. It's or, not. Yeah, or the Native American thing, right. I, it's not. It's way more new age fantasy push yeah. than any of that. And that, that's one of the things I wish that they were able to literally say that inside the movie and they didn't. One of the things that the new age thing does bring into play that I think I didn't care for, why is it that in order to respect the planet and want to live peacefully alone with yourself and your God or whatever, why, why in order to do that do you have to be primitive loincloth-wearing people who, who sit down and chant as a group and you know worship the stars or whatever? Yeah, it, it, it almost diminishes their role. Because they, while on one hand they were clearly intelligent and advanced, et cetera, et cetera, and had a culture, and that's what the whole movie was trying to tell you is that they were people too. Yeah. And then they kind of revert back to the, the I don't want to say primitive, but it, it was very, I don't want to say, undeveloped, I guess is appropriate in, in context. It, it doesn't make sense that the same people that would have this entire culture and this, this knowledge, et cetera, et cetera, wouldn't have made pants at some point. I mean, it's just, it, it, I'm okay with it. It's, it's I, not I even technology, but it's like, would it have changed the movie at all if they were developed, advanced alien race with technology that just didn't happen to be weaponized? I don't think yeah, it would have. I'm, I'm, I'm okay with that. It just it wouldn't have been that new of, age message, and I think that would have detracted from what yeah, they were trying to do, but I don't think it would have changed the story. I think that's a piece of it, but then also when we consider in the first, th- that same volley of the arrows will kill you, and their bodies are made out of carbide steel, or their skeletons are made out of carbide steel, and blah, blah, woof, woof. Well, if you have ca- your skeletons made out of carbide steel, chances are your skin's probably made of something that's going to be protective too, so why close? Oh, well, yes, I get that, but my point is that the portrayal, it seems as if... Oh, we're going to make it look like these guys are savages, and then, oh, surprise, they're not. Well, why not just have them not be from the begin begin with, rather than kind of fake you out with the primitiveness and well, the weird talking and blah, blah, blah. I think that's a societal thing. It's always been like that. If you see one Navi that will cut off your head, i.e. the guy that's going to eventually take over as the, the leader of the Navi, okay, well, then they're all like that. You know that that's that's what happens inside of any organized. Oh, group. true, true. And so that's why that's why they're savages, and especially the people that want to push ideals and grab what's there. Yeah, and obviously they're... using stereotypes yeah. it makes that easier. Yeah. I, I get that. I just yeah. Avatar, the soundtrack. Tony, hum a few bars for me. <laughs> See, we just made a $300,000 sound for one of the (laughs) the giant monsters in this movie. I I love James Horner. I've loved all of his music all the way back that I can remember. Star Trek II is one of my favorite all-time soundtracks. 
Hold on. Guy who did the amazing Star Trek II soundtrack did this? <laughs> yes, dumbass. That's insane. No, it's not insane. He's attached to almost Star every... Star Trek II is one of the best soundtracks yes. ever. Yes, as was Aliens. Aliens is one of the most, most ripped-off movies, especially for temp soundtracks for just about every movie you can ever imagine that has any kind of climax ever. That, that's why I was so disappointed with this. It, it fit into the movie. There, there's all kinds of jungle-esque soundtrackness that's going on inside of it, and it fit the movie. But just stepping outside the movie, literally, the movie ends, and I'm listening to the music, and I step outside the theater, and I cannot conjure yeah, what the Yeah, 30 seconds is. later, you don't remember. That's not good. Nothing. And I know what's going to happen. I'm going to go buy the soundtrack, because we're going to obviously buy the soundtrack so that we can use it inside of this and help sell it to other people. But that's the only way I'm going to learn it, as opposed to remembering something from inside the movie. Throughout any scene inside the movie, I don't remember any of it. I don't remember any of it. I remember some of the thunderous drumness that's going on when they're doing the 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 giant pterodactyl lizard bird race thing. I, I remember some of that, but I don't remember any of the rest. And I, that's not the way I want to remember James Horner and James. Cameron. Well, and this is this is got this is definitely a first. I think in all of the reviews I've done with Mike of whether television or movies, he always liked the soundtrack. Yeah, this is the first time I've ever heard him say he didn't like the soundtrack. Yeah. So well, wow. And, and it's not so much that I, that I don't like it; I don't remember any of it. Well, that's same I, thing. I'm certain that it's going to be it's going to be appropriately placed because that's what they do. James Horner does that for a living. Fine, and I love his work. But in this one, I, I'm obtuse. I have no idea. I didn't remember any of it. Avatar. Useless helicopter pilot death. So Pseudo Vasquez is out there flying around, turning up the human landscape and destroying, helping out the primitives left and right. And then for some reason, she just puts it on autopilot well, hover. She, she, got, she got hit. The one engine was down. She's trying to land it safely. But rather than just landing it like wherever, she's got to like look for a safe place to land because there's so many safe places to land in the middle of a firefight. <laughs> and she, hover, she hovers there for like two minutes. And then rather than going after the... Funk, fully functioning and still fighting aircraft that are everywhere, that are, you know, the, the lizard things. Apparently, the, the bad guy ship decides, oh, you know, let's just finish off this hovering and already flaming ship with one person on it that's not doing anything. What? Really? I, I, I know I, she had to die because, well, we need at least one other good guy to die so that there's some peril there. I get that. But how about giving her some purpose? At least have her crash her ship into one of the enemies or something and take somebody out with her. So, so, something. Or I, even I if it was do... just a stray shell that wasn't meant for somebody else and she just gets in the way to save somebody's life or it was an accident. Anything. Yeah. It was just, we, it was so meaningless. She just, why, you might as well just blow her up the first time it got hit we, rather than we, waiting we, two minutes first. We had talked about this at length in our prelim a couple of days ago and what would have been the glorious hero death for her would have been that the the, the, the big uh, uh, Jake Sully arrives on the big giant lizard bat thing <laughs> that has a name that I don't remember, Turek Sonomagarichikabudakan, whatever, and there's a, there's a missile that's shot at that. But instead, she throws her last gasp of gas or whatever the thing is propelled by and throws the, the pseudo helicopter in the path of the, of the missile and takes out the missile so that it doesn't kill Jake or something. Something so that it would have been some sort of meaningful death as opposed to, let's hit the pseudo autopilot hover button, <laughs> reach over and grab a sandwich out of the Wendy's bag and play with the dire horse while I'm shot to death. Yeah, what gets, me, what what gets me on that, again, if they wanted to kill her for no reason, fine. 
Do it the first time. Why delay it for two minutes and then kill her for no reason again? Really? I, 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 eh, I didn't care for that. I thought, I thought that character was just way underused in general. I, I wasn't looking for her to put on a, a steady cam gun and go and wail on humankind like, like Vasquez was, but I was expecting something totally different from her. Avatar. The story. Now, this is something that... I think every negative review and many of the of the positive reviews that I've heard about Avatar have railed on that the story was thin, that it was dancing with Smurfs, that it was uh, an allegory for any one of the number of wars that we have either been involved in or are currently involved in or will be involved in. I, I don't disagree with all of those things. What what I think I put the thin the thin story on is that with something that's such a feast for the eyes, how much more story could there have been and you still be involved? Uh, no, I, I, I disagree with that. There could have been a lot more story, and it could have been better. It doesn't mean that the story sucked. It was a simple story. It worked. I liked the characters. There was, there was plot holes, but there wasn't any gaping, this makes no sense holes. And really, for, for practical purposes, the, the, if in, in absence of anything major that, that is bad, a story that's good enough in a movie that's entertaining means it's good enough. Yeah, yeah. You know, uh, Yes, the story's been told a hundred times before. You know what? Since the dawn of time, people have been taking things that don't belong to them. That's not a new concept, <laughs> you know. So, so obviously there was not that many places they could have gone with the story, other than some more specifics. Yeah. So to to attack it based on the story, you know, pick another five movies that came out this year, and I'm pretty positive that there's all all five would have equal to, if not worse, stories, and and still made a lot of money and were good movies. So. Look at the whole thing as a whole. Don't just say, well, because the script wasn't uh, Citizen Kane, which sucked, uh, then, of course, the movie must be horrible. Uh, there's something else I'd bring up, too. There was a website that I commented on, and I'm going to forego providing you the address to it because it just wasn't that entertaining. Uh, essentially, what the writer of the review on that website said was that, you know, Cameron should just disappear for another 12 years because not only did this movie suck, the writing sucked, and, by the way, the direction sucked as well. And I, I totally disagree with that. You can definitely pick apart what I think is a very clear, concise story that doesn't have a lot of depth in it. Yes, the direction that was needed to pull this movie off, astronomically involved. And that that person wanted to say, well, he should just go away because he sucks anyway. No. Well, and, and one of the things I, I mentioned to you that. before this when we read that article was, you know, I'm really getting tired of people thinking that every movie needs to be pretentious and intellectual and teach you something about life and you know what yes I, I didn't i didn't like no country for old men i know a lot of people did it got best picture not every movie is no country for old men some movies are thinly veiled allegories with lots of effects and are just fun to watch you know it doesn't have to have all kinds of depth there are always going to be the michael bay style movies that you just go to see because they're entertaining and fun and not because you're going to go home and you know take have a second take on life and decide not to kill yourself after all or whatever. Yeah, you know, assigning that much depth to every story it would be it would be lame. It would make movies all the same. And we need to have the fun lighthearted movies occasionally and this is kind of one of those. I think even though it was kind of a depressing story in the in the sense of what it was about, the characters in general were uplifting and I think that was what we go to see. A couple of blocks realigned. This is something I think you and I both gravitated towards almost instantly when we finished watching the film. Uh, the, the first one that I want to refer to, and when we talk about blocks, we're talking about taking pictures of the film and scooting it into another area of, of the movie. 
This is a quick spoiler alert for the end of the movie, so if you have not seen the movie yet and plan on seeing it, pause here and come back to us later. There's a portion where Jake, uh, towards the end of the movie, where Jake eventually gets assimilated into the tree of communicational life, whatever it is. I thought that that should have happened earlier as opposed to him still being inside of the trailer tethered to the avatar. Why not just make him the avatar and then not have to worry of, uh, about somebody unplugging him in the middle yeah, of battle. Right. Yeah. I think that that would have literally more peril because if he dies, well now he dies as opposed to, well now the avatar, uh, the avatar is dead and he gets to eat, eat, wheel himself out to somewhere else and try and find another avatar. The, the, it's it's again that creating peril because it's real peril or creating peril because it serves as another point for the story to go to and i i i would rather have seen that earlier than later oh yeah well one of the things that i think that i do agree with that completely by the way one of the things that i think also would complement that would be you know what maybe we didn't really need a happy ending maybe yeah, maybe in, maybe instead of uh sigourney weaver dying Maybe the girl he's in love with dies, yeah. and that's why he rallies the troops to go and fight yeah. the Sky People is to avenge her. Yeah, I, I think that would have worked pretty much as well because then not only is he really one of them, but he finally, you know, he understands now about pretty much everything that she was trying to teach him. Oh, but it's too late. And I think that that might have had a little bit more power to yeah. it than yeah. the happy ending where they get married and everything's great. Now, what that really leads us into was our final point of the review, which is the sequel. No. Yeah, I, I'm a big proponent of there not being a sequel to this film. Not because I didn't enjoy it, not because I don't like James Cameron, not even because the characters... It's because there doesn't need to be a sequel to this film. Right, what more is there to tell? The story's over. Right. The best that we can hope for is, oh, the humans come back and they fight again. Okay, and why can't we just rewind this movie? I, so many movies now, if they make money, oh, sequel, it's going to happen, we'll figure it out. To the point now where there's even one of the, the, the jokes uh, that Mike absolutely hates the, the, the crank films with, uh, what's his name? <laughs> Jason, Jason Statham. Statham. Yeah. yeah. And I, I thought they were hilarious. They were stupid. But for what they were, they were entertaining. I will spoil this for you because, of course, it doesn't matter. <laughs> At the end of the first movie, he effectively dies, Jason Statham. And then they decide, you know, we're going to make a sequel because they made a lot of money. So, no, he didn't die. <laughs> he fell out of a helicopter and, like, splattered on the pavement. And, oh, no, he's not dead. They just scoop him up and not a big deal. It was by, ridiculous. By but the it, way, let's rip your heart out of your chest right. for the second one. <laughs> yeah. Have a nice movie. It was ridiculous, and it worked for the film because it was supposed to be ridiculous. But it really does parody the point of movies that force sequels that even though they have really nothing to do with the plot, yeah. we're going to do it yeah. because we're going to make the money. And I really hope they don't go down the road with this, because this was a good film. It stood alone. I was satisfied at the end. And while, yeah, it would have been fine to have a little bit more, I wanted more of this movie. I don't want a different movie. Uh, not only a different movie, but I, I am, I'm literally done with this story. I don't need to revisit any of the characters that I can't remember, except, of course, for Jigsuli. I, I don't need to go back and, and find any more of that at all. I don't I don't need any more. I was absolutely satisfied at the end. Where were you at the end of this movie? Let us know what you think by accessing our website at twoguystalking.com. Click on the contact button on the top right-hand side of the page. And let us know where you were at the end of Avatar from James Cameron, 2009. So we come to the area of the review where we rate this film, Avatar, by James Cameron, 2009. Tony, where are you? Well, Mike, unfortunately, due to circumstances completely beyond my control... Shut up. And by that I mean you. 
Uh, I'm not allowed to give <laughs> half ratings. Apparently, I have to use whole integers yes, whole for my rating here. Yes. Uh, my instinct was to say seven and a half, and if I had to choose between seven and eight, I gotta say seven. It was good. I enjoyed it. It was a fun movie. I will get the DVD and I'll watch it again. I don't. I mean, it's not one of those that I'm waiting for the day of the release because I have to see it again. So I can't quite give it an eight, but it was good. It was solid. So I'll have to say seven. I had originally planned an eight for this film, but your reasoning is sound. Uh, it's also one of the best movies, sadly, that we have seen this entire year. Yeah, this has been a really thin yeah, uh, it has. movie year for me. Uh, reviewing as many movies as we have this year, especially huge, game-changing movies uh, th that should just be off the charts good because the material that's available to make these movies is not crap by any stretch. The problem is that many of the movies we've seen this year have been crap with what should have been really great material. Uh, so I, too, am going to give this movie a 7 out of 10 score for James Cameron's Avatar. I, I really am super enthused about what's going to happen with the features that are included in a special edition disc or the Blu-ray for this movie. And I think that that might actually take me from a 7 to an 8 when it eventually comes out on Blu-ray. Uh, again, I'm also very interested to see what's going to happen with the 3D ability of this film. Is it going to be able to track over to something like my 42-inch plasma display with a set of polarized glasses and one of the, one of the uh, video tracks that are included on Blu-ray? I'm super curious to know how they're going to handle that. And uh, I also hope that this is one that they include the Blu-ray and the DVD in which is something that has not been done with most films lately. Usually what they'll do is a one, anything that has a, a kid tie, in particular Up, was one that came out recently. Uh, the Harry Potter film is another one that just came out a week ago where you could take a DVD and shove it into uh, a portable DVD player inside of a, a minivan or something. Then they're including the DVD, and it's just included for the price. There's no extra charge. However, on the adult films like I'm going to assume Avatar will fall into that category. Anything that's an action film, they are not including the DVD. You can then buy the DVD separately, or you can buy the Blu-ray. And it's another trend that I think would just help Blu-ray get sold so much faster. The problem is that they're still trying to suckle the market and get the money for that. And I'm hoping that that's going to end soon. So a 7 of 10 score from both of us here at Two Guys Talking. I wanted to provide a reminder to everybody that we're now only three weeks away from season eight of the 24podcast.com effort from Tony and I, which I think is going to be a lot of fun. We've seen now two trailers. The first one was, uh, I thought, very well done. Gives us just a tiny little peek, a little bit of casting that you see from a bunch of characters that we've seen on The Shield that we both loved. We loved that series. And I cannot wait to get into 24podcast.com effort this next year. Make sure you tell all your friends and family and other people that watch 24 about the 24podcast.com effort. To visit any of that, you can go to twoguystalking.com, click on the 24podcast button, or just go to 24podcast.com. So we come to the end of the Two Guys Talking feature film review of James Cameron's Avatar. I'm Mike Wilkerson, one of your hosts. I'm Tony Lavasco, the other host. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you next time. Remember, too, to get out there and see movies. We're eager to know what you thought of Avatar and the rest of the movies from all the other studios out there currently. Also remember to buy the Avatar soundtrack via the link at our website at twoguystalking.com. Each one you buy gets the Two Guys Talking podcast a little something and also nets the composers their little piece of the puzzle to continue to make great accompanying soundtracks like the one featured in Avatar by James Horner.
thanks for listening to this edition of the Two Guys Talking Show. We hope you'll tell your friends and coworkers about us, and don't forget to put us on your podcast list. As always, you can visit and contact us online at twoguystalking.com. That's the number two, guystalking.com. Thanks for listening, and see you next time. Sam Worthington portraying a uh, an alien rhino in a, in a wheelchair. Keeper, I see you. I see you. Me. Insert raptor screeching sound. Insert your live biohair follicles into your computer system and prepare for a ride you won't soon forget on the Two Guys Talking podcast. <laughs> you know the number of people that are going to get to that point? Like, <laughs> oh, screw <laughs> this! I'm not even sure what's going on. I don't either. That's the that's it's funny so part funny, of it. I couldn't resist. <laughs> Me! <laughs> Insert the tone. <laughs> Compose yourself. <sighs> okay. <laughs> the worst part is I meant to say Malcolm from Jurassic Park, but I couldn't remember it was, what's his name, his actual actor's name. What is that guy's name? Jeff Goldblum. And so Malcolm McDowell. became Malcolm McDowell. And I just had to go run with it. Nice, real good. It's already out. <laughs> I'm like, there's no memorable lines from that horrible movie. So. <laughs> Insert the tone.